Praise God. Now, even as we remain standing, let's uh, for a moment take the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Let's read verses 18 to 19. Luke, chapter 4, verses 18 to 19. So we are going to read the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this time, this moment, this year, Lord Father, and for the words which you have given us, Lord Father. Because these words express your heart, Lord Father. It is your desire, Lord Father, that all those who are oppressed will taste liberty, Lord Father. All those who are blind will see. All those who are brokenhearted will be healed. And all those who are in one form of difficulty or the other shall be released. Father God, this is your desire for every creation of yours, Lord. And Father God, we take it to heart. Father, we thank you, Lord, that it's you who's with us. It's you who's guiding us. It's you who's leading us. And even as we continue studying from your word, Lord, we pray, Lord, that where you want us to correct ourselves, where you want us to learn from your word, you will teach and we will listen. And having listened, Lord Father, put that spirit in us where we will go and do that which you want us to do. We commit ourselves into your hands. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's remain standing. We are going to take a song. I'm going to ask Brother Matthew to lead us. It's called God's Spirit is in my heart.
sums up what we need to do. A young pastor was at a barber shop and as he waited for his turn to have his hair cut, he sat quietly reading his Bible. And then it was his turn with the barber and just as the barber finished cutting the pastor's hair, the barber said, I don't believe there is a God. Look at all the pain, the suffering, the trauma that people are going through. There is no God. The young pastor did not know exactly how to respond to this statement. So he quietly paid the barber and left the shop. But just as he stepped outside, he saw another man standing, sitting on the pavement. That person was unkempt, he had long hair which was matted, he was unshaven, he looked dirty at that point of time. The pastor stopped and looked at him, went and spoke to him, said a few words to him, and the two of them walked back into the barber shop. Turning to the barber, the pastor said, you know, I don't believe that there are barbers in this world. How can you say such a thing? I mean, you just had your hair cut here. No, there are no barbers. You see, if there were barbers, you wouldn't see such unshaven, unkempt people. No, I am sure there are no barbers. Well, said the barber, the problem is not that there are no barbers. The problem is simply that this man has chosen not to come to the barber. Or maybe no one told him that there is a barber shop on this street. That, my friend, said the pastor to the, to the barber, is the same thing with God. God exists. God is real. But there are people out there who choose not to follow God. Or maybe there are people out there who don't know that there is a God. Having said that, the pastor smiled, walked out of the barber shop. Maybe there are people out there who haven't been told that there is a God. Maybe there are people out there who haven't been told that they are sinners on the way to hell. Maybe there are people out there who haven't been told that they don't have to go to hell. There is a way to go to heaven. Maybe. You see, the last command that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us before he ascended to heaven when he came the first time was simply this. Mark chapter 16 verses 15 and 16. Mark 16, 15 and 16. Mark 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now all of us know this verse pretty well. And we also know a similar verse in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Okay? But we also know, if you continue reading that passage in Mark 16, if you go to verse 19, that having given this command, the next thing that happened was Jesus was received into heaven. And then he sat at the right hand of God. So obviously, the last command that Jesus Christ gave before he ascended into heaven, The last thing he said before he ascended into heaven was simply go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people. That was his final message. Now what did the disciples do? They were there looking up into heaven as Jesus Christ was being taken up. So what did they do? Now the fact of the matter is they did not sit down in that upper room or in any other room. Neither did they moan and groan and grumble and say that their master has left them and they can't do this or they can't do that. Because in verse 20 of Mark 16, what do we read? They went and preached everywhere. They did what their master asked them to do. God said, go and preach. That's what Jesus Christ said. And then he went. And the disciples, they went and they preached everywhere. Today, you and I are the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or at least, we should be. You need to ask ask yourself that question. Am I a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or am I just a visitor who comes and visits with the Lord Jesus Christ once in a while? And hopefully if there is uh, some baby dedication, I'll get a cake. Get a drink. You know? I don't know. You need to answer that question. Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so the question that arises is simply this. If you and I are truly the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, what are we doing about the last commandment? That last command that Jesus Christ gave, go and preach, what are we doing about it? Now let me give you some statistics. In Christianity Today, Barna study, it was found that 85%, okay, not these figures, 85% of born-again believers, not the nominal church, we're talking about born-again believers, 85% of born-again believers believed that they have a responsibility to share the gospel. What about the remaining 15% of born-again believers? You have to question their understanding of the scripture. What is that 15% up to? Okay, now 85%. They say that their responsibility is to share the word of God, to share the gospel to unbelievers. However, the study continues. Less than 25% of these born-again believers actually went out and shared the gospel. So there's a very small percentage of born-again believers who actually go out and share the word of God. Go out and share the gospel. Aren't these the same people who said that they know that they have the responsibility to share the word of God? But they don't do it. Bible teacher Paul Washer puts it this way. Most people do not evangelize because they do not understand the gospel. Most believers do not 
evangelize because they do not understand the gospel. Surprising, isn't it? You and I, where do we stand? Maybe we call ourselves believers, but do we understand the gospel? If we understand the gospel, you and I would be out there. Because that's the command of the Lord. And we know disobedience is sin. And we also know the wages of sin is death. And if you are a sinner, where are you bound for? Come on, get back to your revelation. Revelation chapter 20 tells you that we are at the right place at the right time. You are bound for the lake of fire. I am bound for the lake of fire. Now let's, let's not mince words. Let's not assume that we can partially obey the Lord and walk into heaven. Because, because heaven has place only for those who obey the Lord fully. Another study done by Lifeway Research found that most people willing to share the gospel were young people between the ages of 18 and 25. And the second group of people between the ages of 68 and 76. Now these, these are all pieces of research done by Christian groups. It's not by secular groups. Okay, so two groups of people, 18 to 25, one group, young people. They go out to share the word of God. The second group, post-retirement, 68 to 76. After 76, probably they can't walk too fast. What about that group in between, where most of us are at the moment? Because most of us here are about 25 and below 68. Okay, what about that group? They are too busy. We are too busy to share the gospel. Busy chasing the world for themselves rather than trying to win the world for Christ. Am I hitting a raw nerve here? In yet another study done by Bridge Logos Research in the U.S. from 1991 to 2000, it was a serial study, it was found that the average number of people who received Christ every year was 294,000 people. 294,000 people per year received Christ. When the same people were followed up at the end of one year, it was found that only 14,000 people remained in Christ. 280,000 people who said 12 months back that they have accepted the Lord, have gone back their old way. 4.76% of those who first received the Lord continue to be in the Lord. 95.24% backslid within a year. Frightening statistics, isn't it? Can somebody please WhatsApp these statistics to the whole world? Since WhatsApp is the means of communication these days, please WhatsApp it, up, WhatsApp it and tell people, that the actual percentage of people who remain in Christ after one year of receiving the Lord is less than 5%. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 49. Luke 24, verses 44 to 49. Then he, Jesus, said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, 
and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The follow-up of this passage is in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. We know that verse very well. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, with this passage in, in front of us, let's look at three points that I just want to touch upon this uh, afternoon. Number one, who is called to preach the gospel? The answer is simple. It's you and I. You and I are called to preach the good news. Whether you read this directive from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark or Luke, the message is the same. You and I have been given our marching orders. You and I have been commanded to go and preach. Remember Matthew 28, which is the, the passage we often quote, verses 19 and 20, and the passage from Mark, Mark 15, verse 16, are often referred to as the Great Commission. Okay, it's called the Great Commission, am I right? It's not called the Great Suggestion. A commission is mandatory. You do it. You can't say no. A suggestion is optional. But Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Mark 15, 16 and the passage we read from Luke is the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. So we can't take it as an option that to go and preach... Somebody else will do it, that brother will do it, that sister will do it, we have the outreach team, they will do it, I will not do it. The outreach team will go to heaven, you will not go to heaven, full stop. The big problem in the church today is that we, we skip a few letters. You know, if you, when, you, when you do your, uh, what do you call that, T9, I think, on your uh, phone, okay? You want to, you intend, somehow on my, on my uh, mobile, every time I want to put G-O-D, God, it comes as G-I-D. I don't know what that is, did. And then I have to correct myself. I can't afford to say, God bless, you know, I always end my notes with God bless, it will become Gid bless. Okay, so I have to make sure. So for some reason, the church also likes to drop letters. And so what's happened with the Great Commission is, is that it has become the Great Omission. The C has been dropped out. So God's Great Commission to you and to me has now become the Great Omission. And unfortunately, because we have now taken the simple command of Jesus to have become the great omission. We are practicing the sin of omission. You see, there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. And what we are practicing right now is the sin of omission. In James chapter 4 verse 17 we read this. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Proverbs 11.25 says this. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. In other words, share what has been shared to you. Keeping the good news. 
to myself, keeping the good news to yourself and letting the world perish is a sin. And on that day when you will stand in front of the Lord Jesus Christ as a judge, and when you have to give an account for yourself, God is going to ask you, what about my last command? You may say, I kept the Ten Commandments. Alright, excellent. What about the last command? No, I left that for Pastor Abraham and I left that for Brother Claudie to do that. It's not for me. Is that going to be your answer? I don't know. I know some of you may be thinking and I agree with you to some extent, not all of us are evangelists. Yes, not all of us are evangelists. But the command in the Bible is that it's not asking us to be evangelists. The, all that the Bible says is go and preach. You are meant to evangelize. You and I may not be a full-time evangelist, but there is a command, there is a, uh, a verse in the Bible which tells us that you and I are meant to evangelize. Go and preach. It doesn't say this is for some people. This is for everyone. And so, we have no options there. We can't, take any other, any, we can't take it any other way. We simply are commanded to evangelize. And this year, for Bread of Life, it is the year of evangelism. So we need to take it seriously. Now some of you may ask me, now what's really the difference? I mean, I'm not an evangelist, but I have to evangelize. You're talking about, you're not an evangelist, but you have to evangelize. Now, what's the difference between these two things? Now, let me give it to you in an example. How many of you here are called to be medical doctors? How many of you? I need to see hands. One, two, okay, me, three. We're medical doctors. The rest of you are not called to be medical doctors. Am I right? Yes. But all of you are very free giving medical advice. I don't see many of you going and talk, talking to our dear brother or sister there and asking them about, their, about your problems. But everybody else has a piece of advice on health issues. So you are not called to be doctors. But you are still doctoring. You get my point? You are not called. You might not be called to be an evangelist, but you have to evangelize. You can do it. You have enough experience now. Just go ahead. Be free with our evangelism. Just as much as we are free with our advice. Just as much as we are free with counseling people on subjects we have no clue about. Let us also be free with our evangelizing, but let's get the subject straight. Okay, because you're talking about somebody's future. Are they going to heaven or are they going to hell? Now, don't push anybody into hell. Okay, people can find their way there. You don't need to guide them there. Okay, enough. The, the way to hell is broad. You know, it's easy to get, get there. So we don't need to push them there. So let's be careful, but we need to be able to evangelize properly. So number two. So the first one was who? Are we to preach? Okay. Number, th number two is where are we to preach the gospel? Point number two is where are we to preach the gospel? Again, the answer is absolutely straightforward. It is everywhere. Okay, the Bible tells us Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, uttermost parts of the earth. Different versions put it in different ways, but the story is still the same. Everywhere is where you have to preach the gospel. So where do we preach the gospel? Everywhere. You see, Acts 1.8 gives us the geographical pattern. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Okay? Now let me put this in perspective. 
Now, how many of you, and I want to see a show of hands, how many of you want to see the world evangelized? Okay, 85%. Remember, 15% is not there, right? 15% has probably not even heard me. Okay, so a large percent of people here want to have the world evangelized. What is the command? First Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and then the end of the world. All of you, most of you, want to have the world evangelized. What about your Jerusalem? God did not say evangelize the world, then come to Judea, Samaria, and then to Jerusalem. The geographical pattern is important. Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. What about your Jerusalem? What is your Jerusalem? Your home is your Jerusalem. The place where you stay is your Jerusalem. The disciples were in Jerusalem. They were staying in Jerusalem. And that's why they had to start from Jerusalem. And then they had to progress to the other areas. Your home where you stay is your Jerusalem. Does your spouse know the Lord? Do your children know the Lord? What about your brother and sister? No, let me change that. What about your blood brother and your blood sister? Do they know the Lord? It's a fantastic vision to say that I want to evangelize the world. I am going to the uttermost parts of the world. While right there in your home in Jerusalem, you have people who don't know the Lord, who are on their way to hell. You see, the fact of the matter is, hell has got to become real to all of us. We have got to understand that hell is not a mythical place. We've got to understand that hell is real. We've got to understand that there is no departure from hell. There is an entry gate, but there is no exit gate from hell. And we don't want anybody in hell. Jesus Christ did not want anybody in hell. Because that place was created only for three people. Satan, Antichrist, and the false prophet. Read Revelation chapter 19. But many more are hurtling towards hell. And maybe somebody close to you is on his or her way to hell. And what are you doing about it? That is your Jerusalem. Tackle your Jerusalem first. Then move to your Judea, Samaria. And then, let's go to the uttermost parts of the world. You see, most of us are interested in fish in other houses. And like we like to fish in the next in our neighbor's house. Well, there is dying fish in your own house. You and I are called to be fishers of men. Catch here first. Fish in your house first. And you see, if you read the Great Commission, as is given in Matthew chapter 28, you will see this. This is what we are told in Matthew 28. Okay? There are slight differences between these three portions. And therefore, we need to look at each one. But in Matthew 28, this is what we are told. Go and make, I'm paraphrasing it, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, that is Matthew 28. That's the elaboration on Matthew 28. Now, what does this simply mean? This simply means that evangelism is not just about sharing the good news and then dropping the new convert like a hot potato. 
to be then trampled upon by everybody around him. Sharing the gospel is only step one. But there are multiple steps that follow. And those steps involve continuing to teach that person. Continuing to disciple that person. Continuing to take that person from milk to meat or bones. We can't afford to say, this is the gospel, right, you have accepted Christ, you are saved, bye. That person is a goner right there itself. We have got to be able to teach the person, go through the scriptures with that person, because that person is now going to be target number one for Satan. Satan is not going to worry about you at that moment. As it is, Satan dislikes you. So that's okay. It's perfectly fine. But Satan has another target, who is your new convert. And that is why in Matthew 28 it is, go preach, teach, make disciples. You can't make a disciple overnight. Discipling is a process. You need to be a mentor. You need to teach the word of God to the person. And so, if you have shared the good news with someone, but have not followed up and tried to answer his or her questions, if you haven't continued to pour input into their life, if you aren't there to support them when the devil attacks them, then you have created a sure foundation for backsliding. In no time, the person is going to backslide. If you, re- if you are a reader of American Western novels, the one where the guy pulls out the, the gun and shoots, you know, I don't know if you, many of you know that there were books written like that. Okay, there's a guy walking around, the cowboys, whatever they are, sheriffs, they have two guns, or sometimes one. And as you kill a person, then you put a notch on the gun handle, so that you can tell how many people you have killed. So maybe you have got your own guns like that to say, I have saved so many people. But have you discipled them? Because if you have put a notch on your gun that you have brought X, Y, and Z to the Lord, but have not discipled them, go and scratch those out because they would have backslid. There has to be a teaching and a discipling. Number three. What are we to preach? What are we to preach? Number one. A. The law and the prophets. Verse 44 says these. Then, this is uh, Luke 24 verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So what are we to preach? Number one, the law and the prophets. If you read the second chapter of Acts, you will find that towards the end of that chapter is the establishment of the church. But before the establishment of the church is a preamble, a long preamble, given by Peter. Peter quotes the law. Peter tells the people, listen, the guy you crucified, he is the one who was promised to us by Joel and David and all these guys. So he was quoting the prophets. Peter was boldly quoting the law and the prophets. And then as you come to the end of that passage in Acts 2, you find it says that the people were cut to their hearts. And they asked Peter, what shall we do? To which Peter's answer is very simple. He says, repent. And what was the result? The church grew and grew and grew. 
Jesus Christ himself emphasized the importance of the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says this, Do you think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets? I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, Revelation 21, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So the law and the prophets are absolutely important for evangelism. You see, the modern church has moved away, unfortunately, from law enforcement to life enhancement. Life enhancement Christianity follows the concept that God is love. Which is true, God is love. But that is only one character of God. That's not the complete picture of God. And so this life enhancement teaching teaches that out of his love for all people, God will bless you at all times. Receive God and you will be blessed. Receive God and you will prosper. Receive God and you will be promoted. Receive God. Fill in the blanks. What's your problem? Fill it in. The list goes on. And in this generation of instant gratification and instant answers, when the blessing or the prosperity or the promotion or whatever you wanted has not come and God hasn't answered, people's faith becomes shaky. And once their faith becomes shaky, they doubt God. Because what they wanted to enhance their life has not come. And so people start backsliding. Why did 95%, 95.24% of the people in the Bridge Logos research backslide? Simply because God did not answer their demand immediately. All they wanted was a God who would be their personal supermarket. Their relationship with God was demand-based, not obedience-based. But remember this. Before God becomes a life-enhancing God, He is a law-enforcing God. He enforces the law. Which means we need to go back into the Old Testament. We need to read the Ten Commandments. That's the law. Honor God. Have no idol. Worship God. Keep His day holy. These are, this is the law. Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not murder. Oh yes, we don't murder. Thou shalt not steal. I'm not too sure about that. My son lost his notebook the other day. Exams are coming up, you know, next month. So this is the time when robbery takes place, usually. I know the Indian schools, I've suffered the same thing. Okay? And I told him. I said, go back. Look at your classmates. I don't want to call them your friends. Look at your classmates in their eyes. And say, where's the book? He said, no, 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 they wouldn't do it. I said, just do it. Thou shalt not steal. 
people are not worried about these things. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Frankly, today, if we do not want to commit adultery, shut down the computer. Close your cell phones. Throw the iPads out of the window. Whether you like it or not, the first thing that pops up on your computer screen, for men at least, is the picture of a beautiful girl in a most provocative pose. This is fact. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, this is the law. Okay, this is what God tells us. We need to enforce that in our life. God is a law enforcing God before he is a life enhancing God. He wants to enhance your life and my life. No doubt about it. And he will. But the only thing he has said, obey my law. We do not want to obey the law because we think that that law is for somebody 4,000 years back. We are a modern generation. This, whatever is there in the Old Testament, doesn't apply to somebody like me. Okay, the fact of the matter is, if you think that you are different from somebody 4,000 years back, that means you are believing in evolution. Because if you are better than Adam, you have evolved. I don't believe in evolution, but I believe in devolution. And you know what that is? Or rather, reverse evolution, if you wish. We are not coming from monkeys, but because we, are becoming, we are becoming monkeys. That's the way we act. That's the way we behave. God is a life-enhancing God, but first, He is a law-enforcing God. And God is particular about that. Okay? So we come to a second point. What is it we have to teach? What is it we have to preach? Number two is the truth in the scriptures. The truth in the scriptures. Now, if you read the Bible chronologically, especially the, the three uh, parts that we have taken, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in terms of the Great Commission, if you read these things chronologically, you will read that the passage from Luke 24 comes before the last command of Mark 16 and Matthew 28. And therefore, our interpretation of this piece of knowledge is straightforward. Luke 24, verse 45, predates Mark 15, 16, Matthew 28, 29. So we need to read this first. Okay, Luke 24, 45. What does it say? And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then comes Mark 15, 16, go preach. Then comes Matthew 28, 19, go teach, make disciples of nations. So the go preach and the go teach, make disciples comes after your understanding has been opened and you have comprehended the scriptures. Now let me tell you a lesson I learned in this church a few years back. That was the time we were trying to establish the uh, NG4C. The then leaders, and some of them are still here, the, the then leaders of the NG4C wanted to have an evening at the beach with the objective that our youth, just about a week, two weeks or three weeks since we started NG4C, huh? uh, our youth would share the gospel with their non-believer friends. They would bring their college friends and their school friends and they would share the gospel. I thought it was a fine idea. But our pastor, Pastor Abraham, made it very clear that this beach outing would be permitted only after our youth went through the first level of discipleship training.
Because I know some of you still question that, why do I need to do discipleship training? I want to serve God. God has called me to do this and God has called me to do that. No, but why is this church not allowing me to follow my calling? Why do they insist that discipleship training? I'll tell you why. Because I learned that lesson here. You see, he said, we, the youth will have to do the level one discipleship training, which is the foundation program, and then we could do the beach outing. Not all of us understood it at that point of time. And most of the young people in the NG4C then were totally upset about this. You, know, you could obviously understand that. Now, it was only later that I understood the biblical truth behind our pastor's stand. And that's the same stand which is applied when we say that when you want to serve in a ministry, get yourself discipled first. You see, Luke 24.45 says, He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. This is a prerequisite before you get into the task of evangelizing and sharing the good news. Some of you may be thinking right now that I am blowing this out of proportion. But just think about this. If some cynical unbeliever or a sarcastic atheist or a stubborn nominal Christian asks you to explain regeneration or repentance or salvation or justification or even faith, how many of us long-standing believers can actually explain it coherently and scripturally? Many of us can't even define justification. And yet we have been born again believers for 20 years. You see, that is the reason why when you go to somebody who does not know the Lord... You need to know what you're talking about. Know your scriptures before you preach. We also need to know that when we tell things to the people, after we have coherently understood the scriptures, we need to tell them the bad news and the good news. See, what's the bad news? The bad news is all have sinned. Don't hide that fact. Don't sugarcoat. There's no sugar in hell, by the way. So there's no point in sugarcoating these kind of things. You know, um, you know, uh, you know the Bible, my Bible tells me that most people have sinned. Um, and I don't know how it is with you guys. I don't know what your religion says about it. Don't sugarcoat these things. It doesn't matter to me what his religion says or not. The fact of the matter is all have sinned. Full stop. That's what the Bible says. Okay, it doesn't say all those who were born in Christian families have sinned. While those who come from other uh, religions, it's okay. No, 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 no. All have sinned. That's the bad news. Okay? Bad news. The punishment for sin is death. You are going to die because of your sin. Hit the guy on the face. Now, I'm probably pushing this too much. You know, you will be told later that there are techniques to use. Okay. Okay, that's fine. But I'm just telling you the gist of it. Okay. For the wages of sin is death. That's what Romans uh, 6.23 tells us. And then there is also a verse in the Bible which says, James 2.10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Ten commandments. Are you a liar? Have you lied? Occasionally? You've broken it. Finished. It's an all or none law. There's no small sin and big sin in the Bible. There's no small lie and big lie. Sin is sin is sin is sin. Full stop. And sin separates us from God. Having given that bad news and to given that idea of the reality of the situation that the person is in, you then give him the good news. The good news is this. Jesus is the way. 
I've heard people talk, you know, uh, you know, for me, Jesus is the way. But in your religion, I don't know, maybe Krishna, okay, or Buddha, or somebody else. Or maybe your wife is the way, I don't know. Okay. But you know, in my religion, we say that Jesus is, is, is the way. That guy also knows that, because many, many people say that, yeah, Jesus is one of the ways. He is not one of the ways. He is the only way. That's the good news. You see, we have no place of doubt here. The, the news is very clear. Jesus is the way. That's the clarity of the news. Okay? Because Jesus himself said so. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Number two, good news. Jesus paid the price. Number three, Jesus cleansed us from all sin. And number four, through Jesus you gain eternal life. That's the good news. So you had the bad news. But you said, now through Jesus, everything that you were in is wiped off. Jesus wipes the slate clean. Point C. Preach Christ. Preach Christ. The good news of the Bible is not about the 70 years we live on this earth. It's all about where you are going to spend eternity. You see, in our cells, care cells, we have been looking at the open mysteries of revelation. It is fascinating and gratifying to know that you and I have a place in the kingdom of God. But it is also important to remember to note that time is running out. Any day soon, you and I will be raptured. Anybody has a doubt? You and I will be raptured. But there are many others who will miss that out. Are there your relatives in that group? In the cells, therefore, we need to focus on Christ. It's not about good living. That's additional. That's secondary. It's not about how to take care of our body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But all that is fine. You see, we can couch secular things with spiritual words. Okay? But the focus of anything that we do in the cell should be Christ. Because Christ is the only way. There is no other way. There is no other option for us there. And this year I'm actually going to leave a challenge right now with all cell leaders, cell associates and members. How many people, new people, unbelievers, can you bring into your cell this year? The cell is part of Bread of Life. Right? It's not an independent body. And therefore the Bread of Life theme for this year is evangelism. So in the cell, how many people can you bring in? Take it as a challenge. The cell is not a social club. It's a place to preach Christ. It is a place to preach the message of the cross. It is a place to cast your fishing net wide and reel in the fish. And that is why it is important to those of you who still have this doubt, why does the cell have to meet more than once a month? The cell has to meet much more than what it is doing in order to, for you to be a true fisher of men. We can't do it if we do it once a week. We can't do it if we do it twice a, twice a month. You see, the cell is not meant to cater to personal needs, but it is a place to cater to the lost. One of the key elements of cell ministry is evangelism. That has got to be the door through which 
new members are brought into the church. So take it as a challenge. All cell leaders, associates and members, look, cast your net wide. You see, and I'm coming to the end. Only Jesus can transform lives. Only Jesus can turn a fruitless life into a fruitful life. And that brings me to my final point for today and that is this. While we are asked to go and preach, verse 49 of Luke 24 tells us this, and this is repeated in Acts 1.8. Be filled with the power of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Talk to God about your friend. Then talk to your friend about God. Don't, it's not going in our own strength. It's not going with my own abilities. It's not going with my magnetism. Because the law of magnets tells us that if I am a negative pole, I can attract a positive pole. But if the other person also happens to be a negative pole, I will repel him. So I'm a bad evangelizer. Okay, so it's not about my magnetism or your magnetism. It's about the Holy Spirit working in and through you and me. Be filled with the power of God. Be happy that you are able to serve in God's kingdom. That you are able to bring one, two, three souls into the kingdom of God. In all we do for Christ, let us depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us. God does not place us in a position or ask us to accomplish a task for which He will not fully equip us and enable us. Luke 12, verse 12 says this, For the Holy Spirit shall teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Our theme for 2016 is evangelism. You and I are God's servants placed in this place and time to fill the great commission. I pray that each of us sincerely, honestly will choose to obey the final command of the Lord. Shall we stand and close this session with a word of prayer. While we are still praying, there are some people here that you are not born again. You cannot give what you don't have. Every eye is closed. If you are not born again, here you are here. Because this is your hour to make the decision to become a child of God. So you have not given your life to Jesus. Please, could you raise your hand to the Lord as a sign of surrender unto Him? And you want to make that decision to serve Him today, from today onward. Anybody, you want to give your life to Jesus? You are not sure if Christ should come today. If the trumpet sound that you are going to make it to go with him. Or probably you have born again before but you have backslidden. And you are finding your way back to him. There is an opportunity for you now to be restored back onto your first love. You are backslidden. You want to come back to the Lord. Please raise your hand and let's pray with you. That we connect you back onto your creator. If there's nobody, then the rest of us, let's pray that Lord, please baptize me and make me an addicted soul winner. Baptize me with the spirit of evangelism and make me an addicted soul winner. Go ahead and pray that prayer. Lord, baptize me with the spirit of evangelism. That same spirit was on Jesus. He will not rest in a day until he has been a blessing to somebody. 
Lord, baptize me afresh with the spirit of evangelism. Lord, let the body burn in my bones. Let the body for soul burn in my bones. Lord, Paul said, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Lord, put on me the body for soul. Let it be strong in my heart that I will go after soul. In season out of season. In the name of Jesus. Lord, make me an addicted soul winner. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Somebody is here, he's saying, where do I start from? If there's any member of your family not yet saved, then give yourself no rest. And that's your family member, no rest. Until when? They are saved. Say it to them every day, become a nuisance to him or her. It's your family member, right? Become a what? A nuisance. That, oh, brother, you must be born again. I cannot see you go to hell. My sister, how can I be in heaven and you be in hell? God forbid. Let him know you truly mean what you are saying. I'm saying your family member. It's your family member. The way you will pressurize him when you need money, when you need food, to your family member. Do it to them. Don't give them rest of mind. Until when? They surrender to Jesus. But for people that are not your family member, look for opportunity to preach to them. To tell them about Jesus. And as you do that, the glory of the Lord shall continue to radiate in this land, in our nation, in your life, and your family, in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. We give you all the glory. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant. Lord, we pray as we have committed ourselves unto you, that you make us an addicted soul winner, that will make us an unrepentant soul winner, that whenever the opportunity comes, we will not miss any opportunity to preach your gospel again in the name of Jesus. As we go, let your presence go with us. I decree this week, it's your week of new song in the name of Jesus. That your expectations is declared, granted unto you this week in the name of Jesus. Whatever is not permitted in Jesus, I forbid it in your life in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Go dominate your word and come back with testimonies in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Let's share the grace of God and fellowship, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Evangelism, glory, glory. you are blessed in Jesus' name.